You're listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast, dedicated to bridging the gap between alternative healthcare and mainstream medicine in utilizing everything good to help you feel great. We're glad you tuned in. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Pound. Michael Cohen is a yoga teacher, health coach, and life coach who helps his clients discover and awaken their inner strength and latent potential through careful meditation. By applying meditative exercises and principles of Eastern philosophy, Michael helps his clients restore balance in their lives by helping them make healthier and more conscious life choices. Today we talk about how meditation can better your health and help you heal both emotionally and physically. Please welcome Michael Cohen. All right. Welcome to the show today, Michael Cohen, or better known as Makunda. Welcome to the show today. Thanks, man. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm really excited to be on your show, and I'm looking forward to just having a good conversation amongst friends. So tell me a little bit about your history, about how you got into what you do. Oh, that's a long, <laughs> it's a long journey. So if I talk too long, please cut me off at any time. I okay. give you full permission to say, Michael, too much talking. Two series, maybe three series interview. I've been studying this stuff for a long time. Sometimes I get a little too deep, but I've gotten better at being more surface level in some areas that don't need me to go too deep into a subject matter like how I got here. So how I got to the place I'm at now started probably um, when I was in second grade. I was uh, I was like a typical you know young adolescent boy who had attention hyperactive disorder and I was dyslexic and my second grade teacher called me stupid and said I would never graduate high school because at that time they didn't understand what dyslexia was and understand people with attention hyper, attention deficit hyperactive disorder so I had trouble sitting still I had trouble reading I had trouble paying attention in class I wasn't stupid, but this teacher called me stupid, which set off a fury of fire and brimstone from my mom, who basically, through her anger at calling her son stupid, ended up forcing the state of New Jersey to put me into a training program to understand my learning disabilities. So I'm 42 years old. You have to think this is 1982, 83, 84, somewhere around that time. And so I went through a series of psychological training uh, studies and got scored off the chart with an IQ of well over 140, but I just had trouble paying attention for long periods of time. So the teacher, the, the psychologist, what they did back in the day, just put me on Ritalin. And so I was on Ritalin, which kind of did a good job of helping me focus, but it took away from my creativity in life. And then fast forward, I'm a sophomore year in high school, and I'm doing pretty good in school. And I decided to take this elective. This is, this is an AP elective in sociology. And the teacher was this very interesting, very forward-thinking, very progressive history and sociology teacher. And the entire semester, we watched the movie Dead Poets Society, and we taught it and dissected it. And if nobody watched Dead Poets Society, it's one of the best movies ever. And the movie's all about just learning to be your own best self, thinking outside the box, becoming original, and following your own path. And that set me on my journey to sort of try to begin to try to ask the question of who I am, What's my purpose in life while I'm here? And so that was my journey, and that led me to wanting to become a, a psychologist. However, when I went off to college, I got the sh- 
I got beat up academically because of my learning disabilities and the weapons of mass distraction, plus large quantities, quantities of beer and beautiful women around. I didn't do that good in school. I had trouble writing papers. I had trouble getting through my classes. I graduated at the skin of my teeth. And as a result, I couldn't go and get my PhD. So I did what everybody told me to do and get a job. And so I left college with a bachelor's in psychology and went into New York City. And somehow through hard work and, and, and determination, I ended up getting a job working for various real estate investment trusts and climbing up that ladder in Wall Street where I was making $250,000 a year working on Wall Street in different projects as an asset management manager, marketing director, uh, new construction project manager, building large developments in Manhattan and throughout the country. And if you looked at me on paper, I had it all. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I had a brownstone apartment. I went out to every fancy restaurant you can possibly know in New York City. I had the number to secret bars where, you know, you walk into like a hot dog stand, go into a phone booth, you push a number in and it slides the door open and you go into a speakeasy that you had to know the code to. But on the inside, I kept asking my question, is this it? Like, is this what I worked so hard for? I don't seem to be fulfilled. I have every gadget, every toy. I go on all these vacations and I felt empty. And so I just started asking that question and everybody told me to get married. That's what you do next. You, you get married, you have a kid. And I was like, well, I've done that once before. It didn't work out. So that can't be the secret to happiness. So let me go find what it means to be happy. And I just started on this spiritual quest to try to figure out what it means to be happy, how to find happiness that's permanent, not through buying things, but actual true happiness. And what does it mean to actually be me in this lifetime, in this body? And what is my real purpose? Because it can't be to buy stuff because I've done that already. And it's still, that doesn't seem like that's the answer. And that's how I started getting into becoming a uh, yoga, which led me to become a yoga teacher, which led me to become a health coach, which ultimately led me to my real purpose in life is that is uh, a mindfulness life coach and a spiritual guide for people to help them live their life on purpose and step out of that autopilot and into living what their true purpose and mission is in life. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But with your experience in yoga and health coaching, I'm sure you came across some people who were essentially wanting to heal, but didn't know how. What did you do for those people? Uh, you know, that's a great question. And I find that most people, when they come to yoga or they call me up on the phone and they want some help with uh, on some sort of like chronic issue, like shoulder pain, back pain, and it Typically, the first thing I do is, you know, we just start with the breath. We start really simple, and I teach people that start working with me just to slow down a little bit every morning and to sit somewhere quiet for one minute and start breathing for one minute every day. And after the first week, we begin to work on different things. Most people, a lot of their issues when it comes to shoulder pain, back pain, hip issues, unless they have a serious like injury that needs major surgery can be healed through weight loss, exercise, and meditation. 
And it's not, it's not that complicated. Most people, most of my, most people that come to me and they have shoulder pain, it's typically because they're not using their feet properly or they have back pain because they don't know how to activate their butt or they have shoulder pain because their belly is not being activated to pull their shoulders back or they have a combination of different pains because they're not able to drop the diaphragm. And that's easily fixed through proper alignment, using the body properly, through stretching and building up some muscle strength, and also a diet, getting away from the, the junk, the, the sugar, and the processed carbohydrates, and the meats, and move, moving more focused on a plant-based vegan vegetarian diet, and just taking more time for the self. It's not hard to heal the body. Yeah, even though it's not hard, as you know, many people continue to suffer. Why is it that we continue to suffer, even though most people you work with have pretty good lives here? We, you know, it's a great question, Michael. This is the first time in the history of modern society where we have the, the creature comforts that we have for the bulk of the population. Never before have, we are more well off today. If you have a smartphone, whether it's an Android or an iPhone, than the average person a uh, hundred years ago. I'm talking about if you're making $8 an hour working in like, you know, in retail, fast food, you know, an hourly wage, and you have a smartphone, you are more financially well off than someone a hundred years ago making, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year, because you can get anything you want delivered to you, given to you at the click of a button. Food is affordable. Television entertainment is virtually free now with the internet. And yet we are bombarded with these images of weapons of mass destruction, telling us that we're not good enough in the world unless we buy these things, eat this food, and live this certain lifestyle. And it starts off when we're little kids. We're not taught when we're kids in school how to be good people and how to live a good life. We're taught to work hard, to get a good education so you can buy stuff to be happy rather than to work on yourself, go inside, find out what makes you happy, and then go out and pursue it. So at an early age, we're told that the only way we're going to get happy in life is if we look for external cues, which is why we get grades. Cause, and then we take those grades and we go to our parents and say, look, I got an A. And our parents give us our hugs so we feel good. And then we go and then we're watching TV and the TV shows those toys that we have to buy with the friend always smiling. If you buy this toy, then your best friend's going to come over and play it with, play with you. And when you're a teenager and you're going through your awkward stage, every after school television show says buy these clothes and get this video game and eat this food so you can fit into the culture around you. So you begin to become consumers. And so then when you get into your adulthood and you're working 50, 60 hours a week and the job that you don't like and the life that you don't, you don't want to live, the only thing that you know on, that's programmed into you, that is if you go out and buy stuff, you will find happiness. And so then you begin to get into that rat race of work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, watch a little TV, and then, ah, after the full week, it's the weekend. Yay, now I get a time to relax. Let's go to the mall. Let's go to Home Depot. Let's go to Costco. Let's go buy a bunch of stuff we don't need, we don't want, but that's what we think is going to make us happy. And then we get overweight. We stop exercising. And then we begin to feel bad. And then we try to remedy that 
by buying more stuff. And then the next thing you know, you have credit card debt, you're in chronic pain, and you don't know how to get out of it. And it's nobody's telling you. That, it's like, look, dude, just slow down. Take a pause. Look inside. It's not about the external that's going to bring you true happiness. It's the internal. And so that's why it's so hard to change and to start simple and help heal the body because everything around you says that's not how you do it. You take a pill, you buy stuff. That's yeah. what, and so most people don't most people don't want to go on that journey because and then when you or me go, all you need to do is some yoga, stretch, go for a walk, drink some water and eat a little bit better, chances are you'll feel better. They just don't know how to do it. I wanna I wanna interject or play devil's advocate a little bit. Uh, only because mm-hmm. You know, what you were saying made sense from, I, I would say, a general perspective. But And as a parent, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, and this is my, how my dad, my dad, he said, worked hard, you know, always, you know, and, I, and I'm of the mindset that I want to provide experiences for my kids to hopefully, you know, elevate their experience. Now, I understand it's the same trap, but it's not necessarily derived from a selfish standpoint is I'm trying to give my kids the best I can. So I'm sure you, you come across people that are dealing with that, that maybe they're not buying themselves the toys and, you know, it's not solely self-driven, but people maybe who have a problem with self-awareness because they're so devoted to helping others. Right. I agree with you completely as a parent, as like raise, you want to raise your kids so they fit into school. You don't want your kids to be the weird outsider, of course. And you want to be able to provide enough for your kids so they have a roof over their head, food on the table. And there's nothing wrong with wearing some nice clothes. I wear Banana Republic clothes. I mean, like, I don't buy, you know, cheap clothes. But I buy the clothes that I'm going to wear. I don't have a closet full of stuff I don't wear. If I don't wear it, I don't buy it. And so there has to be a certain sense of self-control. But when you said experiences, experiences and connections is what brings us happiness. Going to the mall is not what your kids are going to remember in five years. Your kids are going to remember the road trip to the national park or the vacation that you went to to the Caribbean or the road trip you took you know, down to the Jersey Shore because I live in New Jersey. They're not going to remember the you know, nice giant barbecue set and they're not going to remember the Mercedes Benz that you drove when you were there when you were a kid. They're going to remember the connections you had with you. They had with you and the adventures you went on. And as long as they have a certain level of creature comforts, they're going to be fine in life. You, it's the hard part is knowing when enough is enough. It's when did you buy too much? And it's about or are you working so much that you don't get to experience time with your family and your friends? Some of the most um, challenging cases I have are usually people who work in the healthcare industry. And it's because they're so focused on taking care of other people. They have a hard time mm-hmm. taking care of themselves, right? A hard time healing. Well, yes. I mean, so there was a time when I was taking a workshop with the Dalai Lama. And this was probably like six, seven years ago. And um, for those of you who don't know who the Dalai Lama is, because not everybody knows who the Dalai Lama is, he is a he is the 14th incarnation of a saint from the Tibetan Buddhism lineage is the easiest way to explain it. And he is a very, very pure spirit, enlightened, kind soul. And we were in this workshop training with the Dalai Lama and there must have been like 4,000 people in this training. So it wasn't me sitting with him one-on-one. And at one point, a friend of mine 
had the courage to stand up and ask the Dalai Lama a simple question about the Sanskrit word in yoga is calling ahimsa. And the, and the yogi said to the Dalai Lama, he said, part of the practice of being a spiritual being is the practice of uh, ahimsa, non-harming. What if, what if I go walking down the street and someone tries to mug me and what should I do then? And the Dalai Lama smiled and laughed and said, your first priority in life is to take care of yourself. You can't take care of other people unless you are first healthy, grounded in earth, and doing well both mentally, spiritually, and financially. You, can't be, you won't be a good husband or a good wife unless your needs are met first. That doesn't mean you're selfish where you walk around and you just think about yourself first. That means you take care of your basic human needs, like you exercise, you eat right, you get eight hours of sleep, you're financially stable, you keep a budget, you save money. That way you can then help other people. And so the practice of Ahimsa and the practice of healing others is I have to take care of myself first, which is why when you called me earlier and when we were talking on the phone, you asked me, you know, like what I said I was doing, I was like, oh, I'm trying to fit in the time I can take this yoga anatomy training course that I got to take for continuing education. And I'm picking the time because it has to be revolved around the time I'm going to work, the time I'm going to exercise, the time I'm going to spend time with my girlfriend and the time I'm going to spend time for myself. So I have to move other things around and it's like, well, maybe I'm going to have to pull back from work a little bit in order to get this training done because my well-being has to be made first. And if you're in this health industry, if you're a life coach, health coach, social worker, doctor, and you're not taking care of yourself first, you're not helping your patients because that energy, that toxicity in your body is being translated over to your clients. That's why the best doctors, the best healers are very healthy themselves. And you can't help others unless you help yourself first. And that brings us right into a kind of a holistic point of view. And, and you mentioned wellness. So how, what is holistic wellness? How would you define that? You know, for me, I like to define holistic wellness as a whole approach to healing. You work with both modern medicine and you work with uh, naturopathic ways to heal. So if you're, so I have a client I'm working with right now that's fighting cancer. I'm not an expert in cancer, nor should I be an expert in cancer. I am a life coach and a health coach and a yoga teacher studying Ayurvedic nutrition. So I, her, I am working with her doctor who is a functional medicine practitioner. And if you guys don't know a functional medicine practitioner, correct me if I'm wrong, a functional medical, medical, a functional medical practitioner uses nutrition and diet along with modern medicine to heal the body. So she's using modern medicine with a doctor to fight cancer. And then at the same time, she's working with an acupuncturist to help heal the body in terms of her meridian planes with the, the chakra points along the body. And then she's working with a psychologist who is helping her with her mental well-being in terms of staying positive. And then she's working with me as her life coach to keep her on point and focused and, and motivated. So she exercises, so she eats properly what her nutritionist talks about. So she you know, gets up in the morning and we do go over life skills. So we're attacking her healing process from different angles, not just one, 
that's what I believe holistic healing is, is about do, going from many different angles to help heal the body, heal the mind, and connect to the soul. However, most people think of holistic healing as a form of natural healing using, you know, herbs and Chinese medicine and acupuncture and yoga and health coaching and life coaching. Um, I like to add in modern medicine as the part of it as the other element because modern medicine isn't bad. It's not the evil that, you know, a lot of people in my field say it, it, it's, it's like anything. It needs to be in balance. You don't necessarily need the pill or the surgery. You can go in other directions, but sometimes holistic homeopathic remedies don't work. Also, when I have a sinus headache and, and I don't feel well, Daddy pot doesn't necessarily always work for me when I flush out my sinuses. Sometimes I have to go to the pharmacy and buy Sudafed and take that because it doesn't always work in naturopathic ways. And a lot of times people ignore modern medicine in favor of naturopathic ways and end up getting worse. And at the same time, a lot of people ignore naturopathic ways and just go to the modern medicine and off and just continue down that cycle of making it worse. And so you have to look at it from different angles and figure out what works for each person the best way. The best way to live with integrity as a person, either in this field as a healer or someone on that journey of personal growth is to not be so attached to things in this world. In the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, in book two, verse 12, it is Abhyasa Vyagyagyam Tam Narodaha. And it translates as, through the practice of non-attachment, one obtains the perfection of yoga. And yoga is not the physical practice, just the downward-facing dogs and the stuff you see on Instagram and you see on TV with the really beautiful people doing fancy poses. Yoga is a lifestyle, a spiritual practice. It is a connection of the mind, body, and the soul. And the Yoga Sutras, along with the Bhagavad Gita, are sort of the original self-help guru books that people like Thoreau, Emerson, Carl Jung, Freud, they all took from and brought it to the West. And so in this yoga philosophy of non-attachment, what the teachings are telling you to do is to not be attached to the results of the journey. And so what happens is, when you, me as an individual, and this is like one of the typical things we see in Western culture right now in news and on the television, people are so consumed with wealth that they believe status, fame, and wealth are going to lead them to live a great life. So they do not care about how they get there because they're attached to the results. They focus on being successful without worrying about how they got there. They're attached to it. They're, if they don't have the big house or they don't have the fancy car or they aren't flying in the fancy private jet, then they're not successful in life. And that's what they're attached to as their identification. When we live with integrity, we don't worry about what the results of the journey will be. We, if we like, I want to be successful. I want to open up a very nice yoga studio that I'm planning to open up in a year. I want to, I'm running a teacher training next year. If I get 20 students, I'm ecstatic. If I get 10, I'm okay. If I get two, I'm happy. I'm not attached to whether or not I will get the results that I desire in my mind. I focus more on how I'm going to do it. And I'm, gonna, I'm focusing on, is this the best that I can do? 
And is this providing the best service to the world? And, be, and I'm not worrying about whether or not I become successful in life. I'm just focusing on how I'm doing it. And that way, I'm able to be the best version of myself. And I don't have to worry about what other people think about me then. And that's how I can live my life with integrity. I focus on the journey and how I do it. So I don't worry. I don't step on people's shoulders. I don't cut corners. I don't stab people in the back. I just live with that mindset that who I am and how I get there is more important, whether I get there or not. What would you say is the number one problem that people come to you to solve? Most of the people that I come across with are somewhere between the ages of 25 and 55, um, if they're coming to me from, to, for yoga, it's because they have chronic pain, um, back problem, shoulder pain. They want to lose some weight, um, and they just want me to help them kind of stretch out their body and help them get practice yoga. As a life coach, most of the people that come back come to me as a life coach, they're spiritual but not religious. They have decent jobs, and they're on autopilot meaning they're just kind of going through the routines of life and they feel stuck or trapped in some area of their life, whether it's they're trying to, you know, they're transitioning out of a relationship or they're looking for to make a career change or they're looking to lose some weight or they're looking, they're in some financial problems and they're kind of just going through different struggles and they come to me to help them break through any obstacles that are in their way to help them come up with a clear actionable plan of how they can get from point A to point B and clear steps on how to get there along with being an accountability partner that takes them from getting take, like that helps them not get distracted because what happens with most people, as you know, and you're from experience, people come in with the best ideas, New Year's resolutions. They're all set to go. They're ready to lose some weight. They're ready to come financially stable. They're, they're looking for a career change or they're looking to break up with someone or get into a relationship. They're all gone home for 30 days and then they get distracted. And the next thing they know, seven, eight months later goes by and they're still where they're at, if not worse. And so that's usually what I help them with is to help them come up with a plan, stay focused, and just move through the steps that they need to to get their life where they're at. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Everything that you need from me is on my website at yourwellnessyogi.com. Um, you can find all my information there, my blog, my podcast, my uh, newsletter, along with our group coaching, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's all on the website. Great. And what's your, the name of your podcast? Uh, the Living Life on Purpose show. Thank you so much for being uh, having me on the show, and I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Heal Better Fast podcast at www.healbetterfast.com. Oh,